Good morning, everybody. Morning. It's good to be, you guys are really doing that every week. I kind of like it, but <laughs> um, it's good to be with you today. This Sunday, what we're up to is we're starting a new series here at Revolution, and it's called Spiritual Disciplines. And as we get started, it can be, with any new series, it can be a good idea to kind of remind ourselves where we're at in the year and what our goals for the year are. So this year, 2023, oh boy, that took a turn. Let's hold on one second there. All right. Um, this year, 2023, um, we want to talk about discipleship. That's our theme. And we said back in January that discipleship is flatly the process by which we grow as followers of Jesus. It's how we become more like him now while we are living our mortal lives. And it is a process that only comes to full fruition then when one day we see our God face to face. And it is, if you'll allow me to use a, a kind of ambiguous word, it's a process of becoming. And we're made as human beings to be a certain type of thing, a certain kind of reflection of God's self and of God's character. And when we set out to follow Jesus, this is the end destination that we're all aiming for. We want to become proper humans after him to the glory of our creator. And so back in January, when we kind of set this course for the year, we also said that this process of discipleship includes these three vital elements. And the first of those elements is not at all up to us, and that element is the living and supernatural work of God's Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, in our lives. And we believe, as Christians, that the Holy Spirit dwells within us and the Holy Spirit carries out this work of our becoming or our maturation as followers of Jesus. And we believe this because this is what Jesus said. And we take him as our ultimate authority. Yeah, John's gospel here. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. And you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. I've said these things to you while I am still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, abides in us and reminds us of Jesus' guidance. And this is personal, and this is profoundly intimate. Our relationship to God's Spirit happens, we believe, within our actual being, like in our actual souls. And we believe, because of Jesus' teachings on the matter, that the arrival of the Holy Spirit is this spiritual thing that happens when we confess our sin and profess our faith in Jesus when we become Christians. And we also believe that this Holy Spirit is inalienable, that it cannot be taken away from us, and that because it is God's nature to be faithful and true, that God's Spirit will see to completion this work that's begun in us. And so this is the first of these vital elements in our discipleship journey. We have a spirit within us which will do what needs to be done and towards whom we can either be stubborn 
and make that becoming harder, or we can be sensitive and make that becoming easier. Now, the second vital element here is this. It's our personal discipline. And this is what, this is what we do to try and remain soft and sensitive to that Holy Spirit. This is what we want to talk about in this series. If you're visiting with us this morning, you should know it's always like this. We're starting a new series. It's going to take me 10 minutes to like, get to the series. But anyways, this is what we want to talk about here. What are the things that we can do, the rhythms that we can purposefully inhabit in our lives, which will make us softer towards God's spirit? And back in January, I put it like this. We cannot try by our own strength to make ourselves more Christ-like. Or we cannot by our own strength do that. We cannot make ourselves more Christ-like. But what we can do is pay more attention to the sorts of rhythms and practices and beliefs that help us maintain openness and humility before God. My hope is that we've all been this is the old teacher in me here that I'm going to say something like this, which I know is not true, but I'm going to say it anyways because it's an aspirational gig teaching. And so here's what, here's what I wrote. My hope is that we've all been wrestling with this for the past few months, right? Just nod with me that you have. You've been wrestling with this. Good. And that in these past few months, we've tried to discern where and how we each can be stubborn. And now we're ready as a community to talk about those rhythms and those practices. So what are we then going to cover? This is a four-week series, but I should say that throughout the history of the church, many more than four spiritual disciplines have been identified as being important. Um, there's plentiful reading material out, for you, out there for you on the subject if you want to go beyond the things that we're going to cover. But for our sake, we're going to focus on these four. We're going to focus on the practice of prayer, the practice of study, practice of stewardship and the practice of service. So prayer, study, stewardship, and service. Now each of these four things is discussed at length in scripture and all of them are part of being faithful image bearers of Jesus in our world and they are also all things that we can do intentionally. So what happens then when we put these first two of those three vital elements of discipleship together? What does it mean for a discipline to be spiritual? And what does it mean to make what is spiritual disciplined? Or to put all of this a lot more simply, how do we partner with what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives through particular practices? How do we partner with what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives through particular practices? And this week, we're going to look specifically at prayer. So, what is this? Prayer is, by way of definition, the act of speaking to God. Most people do this at some point in their lives, whatever their faith or lack of faith or any of those things. Maybe they do it in the middle of a difficult or fearful moment. And one of the most important beliefs that we have as Christians, you know, among the many religions of the world, the many faiths of the world, one of the things that is distinctive, uh, not entirely distinctive about Christianity. I'm getting in the weeds. Let me back that up. I'm just saying this is a thing that's important to Christians, a thing we believe. What we believe is that the actual God of the universe, when we cry out for whatever reason and whoever we are and whatever the state of our holiness is, 
that when we cry out, the actual God of the universe cares enough about us to listen. Now this is, on its face, an extraordinary thing to believe. And I am sure that I am not alone in this room right now in struggling with this belief sometimes. There are many times that I don't believe he is listening to me. And sometimes it's because I don't see how or why he would care, like how or why he would be interested. And sometimes I feel afraid of how big a thing talking to the God of the universe is, and I fear that I'm being disrespectful or that I'm doing it wrong somehow. That might be more unique to me, but I bet some of you can relate. But I have to believe, if I'm going to, to be a Christian, I have to believe that this act of communication is possible and that at the starting point is this question, do you believe God hears you? Do you believe it? Now, I'll be quick and to the point with this. I think you can believe and trust this. Here's what the psalmist writes in Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. It's the view of the psalmist here that God knows. In fact, God knows even before you speak. That's kind of scary, frankly. But I hope that it's also reassuring, right? Because whatever else we believe about prayer, or how we do it, or what it accomplishes, or what it even is, at the root of it is the belief that God cares. He cares. So, if that's what prayer is and, and what's at the root of it, how do we make that a spiritual discipline? I'm going to contend that we, we look to Scripture, we see two models of faithful prayer. The first of those models is common to the Psalms, and it looks like this. Prayer is crying out to that God who listens. It's crying out to the God who listens. It flows, oh, I'm sorry about that, it flows, the FL sound. I'll remember that next week. Pores? Is that a good one? Anybody synonyms? Need a thesaurus. All right. It flows out of our feelings and out of our experiences. And it's this way of sharing the stuff that's inside of us with the God who made us. Now, sometimes that flow is angry, right? When the psalmist writes in Psalm 69, I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fall, fail. My eyes fail looking for my God. And sometimes that crying out of our heart towards God is fearful. Like when that same poet says in that same psalm, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. And sometimes that pouring out of us is gracious, and sometimes it's joyful, and sometimes it's generous and other-centered, and we're praying for other people. But in every case, prayers, according to this first model, 
could be identified as spiritual in that they are rising up from our spirit. Now, the question I think becomes, if it is true, so we're going to put some things together here, if it is true that the Holy Spirit of God is within me, is it possible that that spirit, that Holy Spirit, can come out of me in the same way that my own spirit does when I cry out to God? Can I cry out with the Holy Spirit, if we're going to like put these concepts together? And the answer turns out to be, yes, you can. The Apostle Paul writes to the Christians suffering in Rome this. He says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, which is reassuring. But that very Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And God, who searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And there's something profoundly beautiful happening within our spirits when we become Christ followers. And that is because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, the Holy Spirit acts as a kind of interpreter for us in our prayers. Through the Spirit, God searches our hearts and He knows our needs and He understands us. So, if that is a thing we believe to be true, what do we do in response to that thing? Well, the answer is we pray freely. There's that FR sound again. We pray freely. And we do it without fear. We cry out when we need to cry out. We beg and ask when we need to beg and ask. We rejoice. We worry. We fret. <laughs> so We fret. We praise we implore, we do all of those things with courage because God is hearing beneath our words to the groanings of our heart. Now there's this ridiculous thing that Meredith and I have become known for over the years, particularly when we play trivia together, which we like to do. You know where this is going already, don't you? It's more embarrassing for her than me, I'm afraid. Anyways, Here's the thing. For reasons I cannot comprehend, I, over the last 19 years, have become a Meredith whisperer. Is that fair? Yeah. And so Meredith constantly says things when we're playing trivia or whatever, like, you know I'm talking about the guy with the face. <laughs> and then, that's, that's what she does, and then the magic trick part happens because then I will say a name, and it's always the name. <laughs> Probably our friend's favorite example of this happened on our last road trip when Meredith was trying to think of the name of a musician and she just said, the guy who wears blue jeans. <laughs> it's Bruce Springsteen, right? You guys knew that one. That's him, the boss. Anyway, my point, my point is that what the Spirit of God is doing within us is like the Bruce Springsteen thing, but like amplified by a million the Spirit knows our hearts and He communicates our hearts to God with perfect accuracy and clarity and understanding. So how do we pray? We pray in the Spirit by opening up the tap of ourselves and letting what is in us come out, trusting that God is going to hear us rightly. And that's model number one for prayer as we see it in Scripture. 
But what about model number two? If the first model has to do with the spiritual part of prayer, we might say, what, what model is going to address that discipline part? This has to do with how we stay open to what God is doing in us. And it's something that includes structured prayers that we make a practice of praying. You likely noticed that we do this routinely on Sunday mornings here. We did it earlier in the call to worship and then we just did it again in the community prayer. In our church services, these prayers include parts that we listen to, right, where somebody's leading us, and then they include a part that we speak together. And if this feels stiff, and if it feels even a little formal or impersonal to you, believe me when I say I understand. It's actually a, a relatively new practice for us. We've only been doing this for about two years now. But here's why we started doing it, and here's why we think it's important. Because it turns out that a structured prayer can help shape the way that we think. It can help shape the way that we think. As good as those spontaneous kind of open the tap, let the floodgates go, spirit-interpreted prayers can be for pouring ourselves out to God, which is an amazing thing and part of what we're called to do, those kinds of prayers aren't as helpful for restructuring or reshaping us, right? I feel like things got crazier. It might be my fault. There's also, I don't know where anybody is, so I'm, I should just talk quieter. What if I do this? There we go. That's, no, it's not to help. Anyway, we'll just make, we'll work through it. Turn it off, I guess, is an option. No? Okay. Prayer. Prayer. Structured prayers, they are more effective at restructuring and reshaping us. So by using forms and patterns in our prayers, what we're doing is we're forcing ourselves to encounter and engage with an idea that might not be regular or routine for us. And this turns out to be important because it stretches us, and that helps us to become more complete in our prayer lives. So consider the prayer that we actually used at the start of our service earlier. We'll put it up here. We come as those hungry, hungry for God's word. We come as those thirsty, thirsty for God's spirit. We come as those broken, seeking the healing that God provides. We come as those in need, needing reminders of God's love. We come as those longing, longing for God's kingdom to come. Now, it may be that as you sat down in your seat this morning, you just finished like a really frustrating drive, like got angry. Maybe you fought with your kids on the way here. Maybe you're in the middle of fighting with your friends, and you don't feel, as you sit here, particularly hungry for God's word. But the idea is that saying it in this structured prayer has the ability to nudge you in that direction. Those words, as simple and short as they might be, can have the effect of refocusing your heart and your expectations for the next hour. And as we read them, we're not saying like, this is how I feel today. What we're saying is this is how I want to feel. And that, saying this is how I want to feel, has real power. Can you be thirsty for God's spirit on a Sunday morning? Can you remember your own brokenness and then seek healing? Can you be reminded of God's love or of the promise of God's kingdom? The discipline part of prayer can help with that part of the work. Now, 
Of course, like the key example, I've been saving the, the big, the, there's an elephant in the middle of the room right here. Like the key example of a structured prayer in scripture is the Lord's Prayer, which goes by that name because Jesus handed it down to us. And what does Jesus say? Well, he says this in Matthew 6. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now you may have noticed there's not a lot of wiggle room in Jesus' words here, right? He says, this then is how you should pray. It's direct. And whatever else we think about prayer, we need to believe that Jesus' example here is worth following. So what does this prayer teach us? Well, you may be like on edge because there are whole sermons that could be preached about the Lord's Prayer. I'm not going to do that. But believe me when I say that the subject is rich. But for this morning, I just want to draw your attention to some basic themes. First, in this prayer, we recognize who God is, right? That he is our father, that he's holy or hallowed. And then we recognize the right order of his creation, that everything is his, and he's working his will upon it to end our rebellion and to bring everything back to his right intentions. And then, after we recognize those two things, we ask for our basic needs to be met. Give us today our daily bread. And then, once we trust that our needs are being met, we confess our sins and we aspire to forgive those who sinned against us. And then finally, we ask for God to be merciful to us and to protect us and keep us from situations that we won't be able to handle. Lead us not into, into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then, that's it. That's the whole prayer. Even explaining it, it didn't take us three minutes. So what do we do with this model, right? We do a few things, but most importantly, these two. One, we allow it to reshape and restructure our own hearts. We let it speak to us and teach us about God's desires for us. And we can be reminded when we pray this prayer that God is firmly in control and we can come to him with our needs and he will forgive us and challenge us to be people who forgive others. And he will not abandon us to our fear or to our temptation. And all of those things are good things to remember. The second thing is we can make a practice of praying it, especially when we don't know what else to say. Here's the thing that I grieve about myself really quickly. I'm not good at, teaching, at keeping in touch with old friends. It's not that I don't want to. It's that I tell myself that it's not worth checking in with somebody who lives far away now or whatever if I don't have something important to say. And then when I do have something to say that's important, it's obviously also probably something making me busy. And so then I don't have time. And then all the important things start to stack up. And I realize like this check-in phone call is going to be like hour minimum, right? And then I can't make time for that. And then I start to feel guilty about how I didn't make time. And then, and then, and then, and then. Maybe you are in the same boat as me. But here's something really cool. I have a friend from when I was in grad school. His name's Jonathan. And he is faithful to me. And here's what his faithfulness to me looks like. He puts me on his prayer calendar, and once a month, he sends me an incredibly long and detailed email telling me all the ways that he's praying for me. 
And then at the end of that email, there's going to be an invitation to get together for a phone call sometime in the next week. Now, most months we make this happen, some months we don't. But the point is that for 13 years now, we've been able to stay friends. And so here's the lesson, right? The lesson is that the routine matters. The routine matters. I am sure that I'm not always on Jonathan's mind. He doesn't always have something important to say to me. But because it is a rhythm for him, a moment for connection and conversation and surprises and growth can happen. Now for me, the Lord's Prayer has always been something similar. I try to pray it every day. I don't always feel it when I pray it. I don't always resonate with it or learn something new. But the rhythm of doing it creates a moment every day for God and I to connect. And I want you to try and do the same. Not because the prayer is magic, but because prayer is magic. It matters. And the good news about the spiritual side of the spiritual discipline is that the Holy Spirit is in you and he is speaking from for you. And the good news about the discipline side of this spiritual discipline is that the model Jesus has given you produces change in you and it keeps you close. Now, the discerning listener here might recall that forever ago now, I said there were three vital elements to discipleship. What we talked about, the Spirit's work within us, as well as the work that we do on ourselves. What's that third element? Very quickly, it's this. It's the accountability of a faithful community. It's the accountability of a faithful community. We'll talk more about this in the weeks ahead, but here's the point. You cannot do any of this very well on your own. A private faith at some point is going to run headlong into a communal need. And this is because we're not made for ourselves. We're reflections of our God, and our God pours himself out for others. Prayer is a communal discipline. It pushes out from us in an act of communication. It is a means of connection, and so we're meant to share it. We're meant to pray together. We're meant to pray for one another. Right? We're meant to ask for prayer, not just because we need it, but because it blesses our friends to be able to walk alongside us in hard places. I can't stress that enough. Like, Ask me to pray for you because we, you're doing me a kindness by giving me a chance to care about you. So here's an opportunity for you as we move into communion and a time of worship this morning. You can ask for prayer. You're invited to. After you receive communion, I'll be in the hall if you'd like to ask me. And John Connolly, who I forgot to check in with earlier, are you game? Great, thank you. And Kat Mahone, who I did check in with earlier, are going to be over here kind of in this nook. And you're welcome to talk with them and ask them to pray for you. We can pray for one another. We can pray with one another. And we can trust that the God of the universe hears all of this. And so the challenge for this week is to grow in our faithfulness to this task, to this spiritual discipline. And then hopefully through this discipline to keep growing. I'll pray for us and then we'll receive communion. God, thank you for who you are, for the example that you have set. And for both of these things, your willingness to hear us when we don't know what to say, when all we can do is pour out our emotions. To have grace, to interpret, to interpret us and to, and to see us as you made us to love us, really. And God, thank you for the other half of this equation, right? God, thank you for the model that you set, um, 
not just in these words from Christ, God, but by Christ himself, through Christ himself, your willingness, your commitment to making a way for us. God, we love you. We pray that you will bless these efforts in the weeks ahead, God, and that you'll bless this community and continue to draw us in as partners in all of this work.